got a question for you. How long do you drive your car with the gas light on? Good question, huh? How long do you drive your car with the gas light on? Now, I have married a person <laughs> that drives the car with the gas light on, and I'm telling you, notoriously, I will get in her sequoia in the driver's seat, turn on the engine, and the light is on. Now, I'm okay if I say to her, when did your light come on? And she says, yesterday. Whew. Okay, we're good. But when she answers my question of how, when did the light go on, and she says, I don't remember. I know we have problems, right? I better get to a gas station right away. How long do you drive with your gas light on? When your indicator light is telling you that your gas tank is nearing empty, how long do you drive? I wonder, do we have an empty tank indicator as human beings? It's a good question. I think we do. I think there are several indicator lights that pop up on the dashboard of our life, something to let us know that our tanks are running low, especially when it comes to our emotional tanks. If we run out of gas in our vehicle and you get stranded somewhere, it's not the end of the world, right? You got a cell phone. Just call up somebody, call up AAA, call up whoever you need to call. Your day is interrupted, but you can call for help. You got the phone. But what does it look like when your tank goes empty emotionally? In that case, we find ourselves in a very bad place, don't we? I mean, we either face anger or depression, or we have a meltdown, or we feel overwhelmed, we're, we're unable to function, we, we cry sporadically, randomly, we stare off into space. What is the indicator light on the dashboard of your life, of my life. I think one of the indicator lights is discouragement. It's when we have less joy, less strength, less energy, less motivation, less of lots of things. It's when our soul is tired and we feel out of gas. Ever been there? Maybe you're there today. Maybe today is for you. It's interesting that the Smithsonian Institute in Washington, D.C., in the display that they have on President Abraham Lincoln, several displays there, but one in particular really draws my attention. It's a display of several articles that President Abraham Lincoln had with him on the night that he was assassinated. One of the articles that he had inside his coat pocket when he was assassinated, was a worn-out newspaper clipping which read, the headline read, Abe Lincoln is one of the greatest statesmen of all time. <laughs> Even someone like Abraham Lincoln needed regular encouragement. If left unchallenged, discouragement can overwhelm us. All of us need encouragement. Turn to the person next to you, just tell them that all of us need encouragement at some time or another. I mean, how many of you know that all of us need encouragement some days more than other days? Um, we need to be lifted out 
of the mundane, ordinary existence of life where we're just barely surviving and hanging on. We need to be strengthened when circumstances seem to overwhelm us and they overcome us. We, we need to have a, a breath of fresh air at times. We need to be given life. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but I feel like somebody needs to grab the paddles and say, clear, and hit me in the chest so that I come back to life because I'm, I feel so worn out. Because the Apostle Paul knew that encouragement was so important, he doesn't just write about it. He doesn't just recommend it. He commands it. This is what's called an imperative command in Scripture. Take a look at 1 Thessalonians 5.11. In fact, read it with me. Encourage each other and build each other up. Come on, one more time. Encourage each other and build each other up. Did you know that's one of the memory verses? That's the, you just got it right there. That's how simple it is. Come on, say it with me. Encourage each other and build each other up. Wow. Encourage each other and build each other up. We've been in this series about each, each other for I don't know how many weeks now where Jesus tells us, based on what Jesus tells us, that I give you a new commandment, love each other as I have loved you. He gives us this one commandment, love each other, and then the New Testament unpacks that commandment for us. And I love how the apostles, Peter, James, and John, they write about all these different ways, these various ways of how we can love each other in all kinds of different ways, but no one covers it like the apostle Paul. If you haven't noticed, I have um, just an affinity toward the Apostle Paul in Scripture in the New Testament. I love what he writes. It speaks to me. I hope it speaks to you today. No one covers it like the Apostle Paul. He, he writes dozens of applications. Today, we're looking at that one verse. What was it again? Encourage each other and build each other up. Encourage each other. Encourage. Would you circle that word on your outline? That's an interesting word. Encourage. Encourage. The um, etymology of the English word, the word that we use, encourage, is to put courage in. In courage. Get it? You got it. It's pretty easy to remember. So when we encourage someone, we are putting courage into them. It's a good way to remember it. The Greek word for this word encourage is parakaleo, which means it comes from two different words, two different Greek words, para, para, which means um, to come close beside, and kaleo, which means to call. So it means to come close up and personal and call. Get this down. To encourage is to come alongside and speak into. To come alongside and speak into. Encouragement comes from the voice that is close and personal, a voice that speaks into your life. Now, you may have heard of the, I believe, the amazing friendship of Jonathan and David in, in the Scripture in the Old Testament, in the Jewish Scriptures. And I want to talk about that for just a minute. My, my personal time that I've been having this entire year, I've been reading through and studying through the book of 1 Samuel. And First um, Samuel, in the account of First Samuel, we see that Saul was the first king of the nation of Israel, and Jonathan was his son, and Jonathan was heir to the throne. But King Saul made some sinful choices, and God rejected him as king. Take a look at what God said to the prophet. The Lord said to Samuel, fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. It's interesting that the people, God was choosing a choice for the people with King Saul, but now he's saying, I'm, I'm making a change on this, and I'm choosing 
David. We're going to see David, Jesse's son, as my king. And 1 Samuel 16, verse 13, as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. At exactly the same time, we read in the next verse that the spirit of the Lord left Saul. And a tormenting spirit filled him with depression and fear. Some of Saul's servants said to him, let us find a good musician to play the harp. Whenever the tormenting spirit troubles you, he will play soothing music and you will, be so- you will soon be well again. All right, he said, find me someone who plays well and bring him here. And so ironically, one of the servants said to Saul, one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented harp player. Not just a shepherd, he's a harp player. Not only that, he's a brave warrior. Oh, wow. He has good judgment, huh? He's fine looking, great. And the Lord is with him, wow. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David, the shepherd. And you thought Game of Thrones on HBO was good. Look at this. Look at the drama that's unfurling itself. You haven't been reading the Bible if you've been missing stories like this. So obviously Saul didn't know that David was just anointed as the new king. And he calls David to be his um, musician in his, his throne room, his courtroom. Take a look. So David went to Saul began serving him. Saul loved David very much, and David became his armor bearer. He just got elevated. He got promoted. He's now the armor bearer to the king. He's carrying the weapons and protecting the king, basically like a semi-bodyguard at this point. Whenever the tormenting spirit troubled Saul, Scripture says, David would play the harp, and Saul would feel better. So while serving in the king's court, David becomes awesome friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. The king's son, the heir to the throne, Jonathan. They come come so close as friends that Jonathan in 1 Samuel 18.3 made a solemn pact with David because the scripture says he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact. Now I want you to get this. This is really HBO Game of Thrones stuff right here, all right? Look at this. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe. What kind of robe was that? That was a prince's robe. That was an heir to the throne robe. You may or may not know this, but the kings of Israel, they didn't wear crowns. Robes are the things that signified them. So he's taking off his robe, taking off his robe and giving it to who? David. Wow. Together with his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. Everything that would signify him as heir to the throne, the next king in line, he is now giving to David. Wow. They made a covenant, lifelong friendship. Jonathan sealed this covenant by giving away the the items that signified his rightful place. And now... The drama. 1 Samuel 18, 5. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war, an appointment welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home, women from all the towns of Israel came out. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. And this was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. Next line, this made Saul very 
angry. He said, they credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Dun, 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 right? I mean, there it is. It's been all laid out. And then the very next day, a tormenting spirit overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp as he did each day, and I'm sure he was playing it extra loud because Saul was raving like a madman. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. There was no question his motive, his intention right there, right? And David escaped him once. Wait, what does it say? Twice. Actually, it ends up being three times. We'd have to go reading on to see. But three times, the guy tries to pin him to the wall. Would you get the hint after three times? I think I would. Not too long after this, Saul urged his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David. But Jonathan, because of his strong affection for David, told him what his father was planning. So now David is running for his life, hopeless and helpless and homeless. And King Saul and his troops are continuing to chase him day after day after day. And while living in caves and on the run in the wilderness, look what it says in 1 Samuel 23. Jonathan went to find David and what is that next word? encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. Don't be afraid, Jonathan reassured him. My father will never find you. You are going to be the king of Israel. And I will be next to you, as my father saw, is well aware. So the two of them renewed their solemn pact before the Lord. Then Jonathan returned home while David stayed at Horesh. How many of you know that few things are more valuable than encouraging words when you need them? Spoken, spoken right at the right time. They have tremendous impact, not only today, but tomorrow in your life. What Jonathan did was more than just words, though. And this is what I want you to see. This is, this is the part that I want to push in on. It's just this one verse, verse 16. Look what it says. Jonathan went to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. You know, many people think that encouragement is flattery. Many people think that encouragement is compliments. Like, you know, you admire someone's haircut. I'm encouraging them by saying that, or, or I'm you know, praising their salsa because their salsa is so good with chips. And a lot of times we think that that is encouragement, that is good enough. Many people think that encouragement is these little cute little expressions, <clears throat> like motivational quotes or um, memes that you have on Facebook, which, which always seem to tell us to look inside and not to God, to get strength from within. There's nothing wrong in these things. There's nothing wrong in compliments and flattery and these little quotes and expressions and stuff. But can I tell you this? It's not biblical encouragement. And honestly, it's not what we need. If you are a follower of Jesus, 
You need biblical encouragement. I mean, you need the kind of encouragement that Jonathan gave David. You need the kind of encouragement that Paul commands us to give. Biblical encouragement is pointing people to God. Get this down. Biblical encouragement is helping each other trust God no matter what. Biblical encouragement is helping each other trust God no matter what. That's big. Pointing them to God. Helping people trust God. Helping someone trust God when life is hard. Reminding each other that there is a plan that God has for our lives. That there is a promise that God has. As you notice that, jo- that Jonathan was telling David, what God has spoken to you, the anointing that you have as king is going to come to pass. You will be the next king of Israel. The promise that God has made, the purpose that God has for your life. God is in control no matter what is going on. No matter if my dad is chucking spears at you or not. God is in control. God knows what he's doing. That's the kind of encouragement that we need. Jonathan encouraged David to trust God. It's just like what Paul says, encourage each other and build each other up. Wow. Now here's the crazy thing. Paul's writing this, encourage each other, encourage each other, build each other up. Do you know that Paul had experience in this? I mean, Paul, he wrote this from experience. Someone had come alongside him when he needed it most. Someone had come alongside and and spoken into his life when he needed it most. We first see this guy, the earliest days of the Jerusalem church. His name is Barnabas. Take a look, Acts 4. There were no needy people among them in the first century church when the church just got started and launched because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means, look at this, son of encouragement. They gave him that nickname, son of encouragement. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. So this is what I want you to get. This was not the first time that Barnabas had done something like this. He was doing it so often with an encouraging way that he was nicknamed, you are an encourager. I think that's a nickname that more of us need to have in the church. He was already known as this. And this same Barnabas came alongside Paul, even though it was extremely risky. If you don't know, Paul, a.k.a. formerly known as Saul of Tarsus, didn't start out as a Jesus follower. (laughs) Not at all. He was a Pharisee, and he actually had a history of chasing Jesus followers, throwing them into jail, and overseeing their execution. Acts chapter 9 tells us that Saul, this is Paul, but he's Saul at this point. God hasn't changed his life. Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for the cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. And on his way to Damascus, Saul experienced Jesus in an up-close and personal way that none of us have ever experienced before. In fact, later on in Galatians, Paul writes that he experienced Jesus so real that it was as if it was face-to-face Jesus talking to him. Hmm. His life was changed. In fact, later on, he even changed his name, Paul. Saul became Paul. But no one believed that it happened. Would you? 
I mean, come on. If we had a guy who was hunting us down, Jesus, Jesus followers down, and he was throwing us into prison, and he was having us executed, men, women, children, didn't matter. He was coming into our homes, dragging us out of our homes, and throwing us into prison for the faith that we had in Jesus. Would you trust the fact that this guy had now come to Jesus? I don't know about you, but I would have a hard time with that. Nobody believed it, except for one guy. It's our guy Barnabas. Take a look. Acts 9, verse 26. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. Do you see what Barnabas is doing? He's telling, he's telling Saul's story. It says, so Saul stayed. I'm sorry, he told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. What does that say to you and me? It says that Barnabas convinced them. He said, no, this is the real deal. This guy, Saul, has had an incredible experience encounter with Jesus Christ. He has changed his life. He is not the same person. We need to trust him. I believe in him. You need to believe in him because God is going to use him in incredible ways. Can you imagine being there when someone, I'm sure he's there, someone is talking about you to someone else like that? Have you ever had public recognition like that? And it's amazing what takes place. Barnabas spoke for Saul. Paul experienced another Jesus follower coming alongside him when he needed it most. Someone in the church encouraging him. Makes me think of what the writer of Hebrews tells us. It's another each other passage. This is really interesting in Hebrews 10. Look what it says. You should not stay away from the church meetings as some are doing, but you should meet together and what? What was that? In, in, let's read that again. You should not stay away from the church meetings as some are doing, but you should meet together and encourage each other. Isn't that interesting? Encourage each other. Do you know what this verse is saying? It's saying very clearly that the primary reason Jesus' followers meet together is to encourage each other. Wow. Is that why you came to church today? I mean, did you get up this morning and say, God, who do you want me to encourage today? That's why I'm going to church. Speaking into each other's lives. Causing each other to trust God no matter what. Igniting each other's faith in God when we need it most. See, all too often, and let's just be honest, all too often, we... We come to church to get things for ourselves. I mean, we got to be honest, right? I come to church to worship God, and, and we make it sound spiritual. I'm, I'm only worshiping God, but re come on. You want to experience, you want to hear God, you want to you know God is with you. You need to know God is with you. You need something from God today. You need to hear his voice. That's why I'm in this room. I'm just being honest. I'm talking for me right now. I'm here because I need to hear from God. 
And a lot of the times, I focus on me. You say, but you're the pastor. doesn't matter. I'm just like you. I want, I want God to speak to me. I want God to anoint what I'm doing. I want God to be a part of what I'm doing and show me his purpose and his plan for my life. I want God to do this for me. So we gather as a church for ourselves. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, you've completely missed it. We gather as a church to give encouragement to each other. Wow. So you guys know this has been a hard week for us and our family. Um, our dog Toby died in my arms after being hit by a car. I've just recently told somebody it's probably the hardest thing that my family has faced um, in the moment, if you know what I'm talking about. And it broke our heart, really did. And many of you know that um, in times like that, you, you need somebody. I mean, I was so glad that all of my family was there, Shannon and Cleva, everybody, that we were there together. But, but you have no idea what it means to then receive encouragement from some of you. I mean, all, all this week, many of you have come alongside us. You have texted us. You have messaged us on Facebook. You have given us cards and gifts. Um, I wrote down Linhoff's, Webb's, Nelson's. You, you have revived our hearts. And there, there's something about this um, encouraging that we need more of here in our church. Because we experienced it, and I know what it did in our lives. And, and I talked to Didi this week about it, and I said, man, there are so many people at Pathway Church that I know of need this right now. And, and it spoke to me that I need to step up my game, that I need to become more like Barnabas, more like Jonathan, to be an encourager. Jesus told us here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. Look at that verse. Here on earth. You will have many trials and sorrows. He doesn't beat around the bush, does he? He just says, you know, life sucks sometimes. It's just going to happen that way. You're going to struggle. It's going to be difficult. He's telling us this. But look at this second part that he says, but take heart because I have what? Overcome the world. There's a song that Mercy Me sings. That's, they get to this part of this bridge. I believe it's a bridge. And they say, we win. And, and that's what Jesus is saying there. That's what I think he, he's saying. Life is going to be hard. You're going to have struggles. You're going to have difficulties. But guess what? We win. We win. I have overcome the world. That's what you and I need to hear from each other. We need to be reminded that God wins. That no matter what we're facing, no matter how we're feeling, that God is in control, that God knows what we're going through, that God is there with us, and he's ready to change things in our life. That's what we need to be encouraged through. That's what we need to hear. That's what I need to hear. Hebrews 12, there's a, a metaphor. Um, 
it's, it's, it talks about life, you know, running this, this race. And um, there, there are times, we, because we live in a broken world, we live in a world full of sin and selfishness and dysfunction and death and despair and all of these kinds of things. We, you guys know, it's, it's easy to lose sight of hope. It's, it's easy to, to lose sight of it because we deal with stress and pressure and pain and struggle and all this. And there are some times when we want to throw in the towel and give up. But, but we're told in Hebrews 12 to run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And the only way that's going to happen is if we encourage each other. Can I tell you something? The only way you're going to make it is if I'm encouraging you. And the only way that I'm going to make it is if you're doing that to me too. Because life is hard. It's full of loss. It's full of death. It's full of discouragement. But it doesn't mean that we have a God who isn't able. Amen? He is able. And he's very willing to step into our lives. Reminds me of something that I saw many years ago. It happened at the 1992 Olympics. ESPN calls it one of the 100 greatest moments in sports history. Derek Redman wanted to win a medal in the 400-meter race. The stadium was filled with 65,000 fans, including his father, Derek's father, Jim. 175 meters from the finish line, everything looked good. It looked like he was going to place, but suddenly Derek hears a pop, and it's his right hamstring. Derek pulls up, hopping on one leg, and he collapses to the ground. And I got to tell you, what takes place is amazing. Take a look. His father, Jim, had no credentials to be on the field. But pushing people aside, he went as fast as he could. He came out of the stands, scrambled to help his son. In the final turn, he reached his son, you saw and taking Derek in his arms, sobbing, Derek said to his dad, I want to finish this. And his dad said, okay, let's do this. And so arm in arm, they continued down the track. And all the way, I don't know if you saw, but he was talking to his son. Derek Redmond wrote a book later, and he tells about what his dad was saying. Derek said that the whole way, every step I would take, my dad was saying to me, you're already a winner. You're already a champion. You've already done this. You've already proven yourself. I think that's what Paul talks about when he says encourage each other and build each other up. Friends, there, is, there are people here, right here at Pathway, who need someone to come alongside and speak into their lives encouraging words. Life, life hits us so hard that sometimes it knocks the breath out of us. And that's the way, you guys know, last weekend, that's the way I felt. John Maxwell says encouragement is like oxygen for the soul. And I felt like I was grabbing for that mask and just trying to suck as much oxygen as I could because I felt that I was hitting the gut. And so I came across a question this week that um, 
Do you ever read something that just kind of cuts into you in a, in a challenging way, just kind of, mm. that's what I felt this week when I read this question. I hope it challenges you. If the people around me depend on me for encouragement, are they dying or are they thriving? If the people around me depend on me for encouragement, are they dying or are they thriving? Imagine with me a church where everyone is your biggest cheerleader. They believe you can do it. They're ready to help you do it. They're ready to help get you back up when you fall, when you stumble. They are all thrilled when you get to the finish line. That's the kind of church that we are called to be at Pathway Church. And I think that's the kind of church that we're becoming. But we're not there yet. I'm not there yet. You're not there yet. Today we can take one more step in this direction. See, God is speaking to us about encouraging the people around us. Are they dying or are they thriving? They need us. We need us. We need each other. Maybe it's because Didi and I are pastor, but we, we hear, we get the texts, we get the emails, we hear the stories, we get the calls, we have the conversations. We hear of things going on that sometimes maybe you don't even know, you're not privy to, and that's okay. That's part of our job. And, and, and I mean, even the, the, the things that I pray for during the week are things that you write on communication cards and other things. And, and so we know these things, but can I just, can I just tell you we have some hurting people here. And we cannot keep doing church just like we do it every week. Because people are dying inside here. And they need us. They need the oxygen, the life, the encouragement that we can bring into their life. They need you. We need you. We're called to this. Encourage each other. Build each other up. Would you bow your heads with me?